Heavenly Father, on this day that we set aside to remember those who sacrificed so much for us, Father, we want to thank you for them. And God, we are humbled by what they've done. But even more than that, Jesus, we are humbled by what you've done. For the one who's given everything for us. For the one whose sacrifice did not simply give us freedom to worship or freedom to vote or freedom to participate in government, but freedom from sin, freedom for eternity, freedom that can never be taken away. So, Father, this morning as we open your word, God, may we, may we be reminded of your faithfulness, may we be reminded of your power, but Father, may we be drawn ever closer to you in the truth of the gospel. And that when I was not looking for you, you came looking for me. When I was yet a sinner, your son gave his life for me. The me that I was on my very worst day is the me that you loved enough to die for. Oh God, what, what, what do we say to that kind of love? How do we respond to you? And the only thing that makes sense in my heart is that you may have all of me. So this morning, Lord, take all of us and do with us as you will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I'd like you to go ahead and wait for it. Open up to the book of Psalms. You've got it. Hey, we're going to land in Psalms chapter 121 today. Uh, I want to thank Rick for the, um, for the welcome and for the introduction. Thank you, Tim and the band for leading us in worship. Thank you, high school students, for cheering um, for me. <laughs> um, uh, also, I'd really love to take a minute and thank Creation Works for what they're doing over in the hangar. Uh, you guys know if you've been around a little while, the flooring over there is in desperate need of some updating, and they are working to make that happen. And I want to thank you, Cross Life Church, because uh, you are the guys who are making this happen. Many of you have already signed up to volunteer and, uh, and to work over these next couple of weeks, starting on Tuesday, to make that happen. And some of y'all are looking at like, huh? Well, if you have not signed up to volunteer yet, I'm going to challenge you today after after the service out in the atrium, uh, we have got a table set up and you can get all the information and details about what's happening back there and we need your help. So I'd love for you guys to pitch in and be a part of what God is doing through that ministry. And, uh, and finally, this Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, we're doing a really awesome thing um, with our students. Our high school students are leading a worship night and they asked me to make sure that I mentioned it. So there you go. All right. So if you haven't found uh, Psalm chapter 121 yet, then... Uh, um, Keep looking. It's going to be okay. Just kind of open up your Bible to the middle. Uh, it'll probably land somewhere around Psalm or Proverbs. If you're in Proverbs, go one book back and just keep turning. Um, you know, we've been, we've been doing these Psalms things uh, all year long now. I hope you guys have enjoyed the, the, the little uh, devotionals that the staff has been doing online. We've been putting those up. Uh, some of those have been really encouraging to me. I know Rick and Kevin and Tommy and Tim and everybody else on staff has been putting a lot of time and effort into those, and we appreciate them so much, Barry. Uh, so, so if, uh, if you 
you've gotten anything out of those, make sure you go up to your favorite staff member today and give them a great big bear hug. But don't tell them why, because that would be really funny. All right. So uh, this morning, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 121. Now, in my Bible, it starts off, has a little number on there, but it has a heading on it that said, my helps come, my help comes from the Lord. Uh, maybe your Bible has that, maybe it doesn't, but most likely your Bible does have this next little line that, that is kind of a, a prelude to what happens in the Psalm. Now, right underneath that, it should say in a, in a funky little font uh, that looks a little different from everything else, a song of ascents. Now, it's kind of important this morning that we understand what this Psalm is. Uh, see, there is in, in the nation of Israel, as, as a Jewish person back in the day, uh, what would happen is several times a year uh, for some families, but at least once a year for everybody, they would make a family trip to Jerusalem. They would make a, a trip up to the holy city, and, and, and what would happen is they would, they would travel into the hill country where Jerusalem was, and Jerusalem was set upon a hill, the bright shining city on a hill, and, and that is where they were going. And so these psalms that we've been reading for the past several days, maybe the past couple of weeks, and over into the next couple of weeks are called psalms or, or songs of ascent. And what that means is these are actually little worship songs that communities of faith would sing to one another as they ascend the hills into Jerusalem. Now, it's important to note that because that means that this, this psalm isn't meant for people who are outside of the community of faith. It's not meant for people who are outside of the church. This psalm is meant for people who are within the church. So this has something very, very clear and very, very direct to say to you and I this morning. So, so kind of get the picture in your head. This isn't somebody just kind of sitting around on a harp playing music. Uh, it's not Tim up here on a stage leading a bunch of people who are sedentary. These are people who are on the move. These are people who are on the march. These are, are, are sojourners, uh, journeyers, or pilgrims who are making their way to Jerusalem. And so the, 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 the leader, the journeyer, the, the pilgrim, he begins in verse 1 simply by saying, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Now, now the reason for this is pretty simple, because they're moving into the hill country. They're moving to the hills. They're moving to Jerusalem. They're going that way. And so he's lifting his eyes up toward his destination. Uh, now, now for, the, for the Jews, it's kind of hard for, un, for us to understand what, 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 what they mean when they talk about Jerusalem. We, we think in things in a little bit different sense. But Jerusalem to them is, is kind of representative of heaven to us in a lot of ways. They, Jerusalem was the place where God lived. And so when he says he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to the hills, he's not just going any old place. He's going to the place. He's going to the place he's always wanted to be. He's going to see the person he's always wanted to be close to. He's going to see God himself in the temple. He's going to kind of the sum of all things that in, in kind of encompass all of Jewish culture and all of Jewish religion. He is moving to the place that they have always, always, always dreamt of. The place that represents the presence of God in a very real way among his people. This is where they would go to see God. Not everybody could get in the Holy of Holies, but they could all get in the temple and everybody in Israel knew that was where the presence of God rested. And so the pilgrim looks up to the hills in sight of everything that he has always anticipated. Everything he has always looked forward to. Everything that he has in life to be excited about. The source of his hope, the source of his joy, the source of his happiness, the source of his contentment, and the source of his sustenance is all captured in the hills to which he is looking. However, the next line in the verse 
clues us into something a little different. He says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? Now, the truth of this is, while he's journeying, while he's going, he is lifting his eyes up to look toward Jerusalem. But the hills between here and there encompass tons of danger for the traveler. Jesus would reference this much, much, much later in the Gospels when he talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan. These are the same roads. These are the same hills. People journeying to the same city as it happens in that story. And just as robbers would ambush people then, they would do the same thing a few thousand years before when this is being written. There is danger in the hills. There are robbers. There are thieves. There are murderers. People lurking behind corners, lurking behind trees, lurking behind bushes, lurking behind the hills, seeking to do the traveler harm. And so he recognizes While he is in a moment of anticipation and excitement, there's also in that same breath, in that same moment, in the same experience, a moment of fear and anxiety. And as I was reading this this week and I was praying about it and thinking about it, it began to dawn on me, that's kind of where you and I live all of the time. We are journeying wherever it is that we're going. We're moving together along through this life. We're doing what we do and going where we go and being who we are. And there are things that we're very excited about. Uh, you know, a, a, a great story kind of kind of to encompass this is we had a young lady named Courtney. This was years and years ago. She's like grown up, graduated, and married, so she'll never know I'm telling you this. It's okay. But Courtney uh, was brand new in our church, and she was super, super, super excited about the idea of going to camp because it meant that she was going to get to know a bunch of people, and it was going to be this really great experience. You know, she'd heard about the worship. She'd heard about the Bible. She'd heard about everything that God had done through so many times that we had gone to camp together, and she was just super, super excited about getting to camp until the morning that we were supposed to leave. And so we're, we're getting there, we're getting everything together, and we've got 150 people loaded up on buses, and everybody's ready to go, except Courtney. She's still sitting in the minivan, and mom's trying to coax her out. And, 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 and with every step, she would just... <laughs> you ever seen a teenage girl do that kind of thing? Just go, uh, you know? And, and, and this, is, this is kind of what she's experiencing. She was all excited about the idea until all of a sudden the fear of the unknown kind of overtook her and overpowered her and all of a sudden she was paralyzed with anxiety because she she'd heard all this great stuff but she didn't really know what it would be like just in case you didn't know you should go register your kids for camp now but That's a different story entirely. But this is where you and I live. Uh, For our graduating seniors, this is a season of excitement. This is the culmination of a lifetime's worth of work where they walk across the stage and they get a piece of paper and somebody's telling them they're going out to meet the real world and and they're excited about this. They think they're going to be on TV and all this stuff is happening. But but then it begins to sink in that, wait, while, while there's a new corner being turned, there's an old corner being left. There's something that I've always known and there's comfort in the known and there's, there's safety in the known and out there, yeah, there's opportunity at college and it could be great, but it could be awful. What if, what if I don't meet anybody I like? What if nobody I like meets me? What, 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 if, what, if, what if my grades don't meet the standard that they're supposed to meet? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? 
And our middle schoolers, some of them who are rising up in the ninth grade are feeling the same tension. Our fifth graders rising into sixth grade, they're feeling the same tension. Our parents watching our kids rise from fifth grade to sixth grade, or eighth grade to ninth grade, or twelfth grade into college. We're, we're, we're going through the same thing. Or, or some of us, some of us, it's, we're just in a completely different track. And right now, you know, it's our business, and it's our livelihood, and it's our stuff, and we've got plans, and we've got dreams, and we've got things, and, and, and we're stepping out into a new job, or a new career, or maybe a new relationship, or a new thing, and there's all kinds of excitement. There's all kinds of anticipation. There's all kinds of, well, this could be fantastic, but at the same time, there's all kinds of anxiety and all kinds of fear, because while it may be fantastic, it may not be. And there may be some of us in the room where, where you're just in a completely different plane and you've spent your entire life climbing a ladder, leaned up against a wall you've called success. And now you've gotten to the top of that ladder and you realize you had it on the wrong wall. Or maybe you got to the top of the ladder and now you don't know what the next step is. And everybody around you is retiring and everybody around you is, is stepping away and everybody around you is experiencing this new freedom. And, and you don't know, I mean, it, yeah, it sounds really great, but what am I going to do now? My whole life has been this. And now what's it going to be? And so for each and every one of us, and I, I believe in every season and every stage of life, as we walk through this experience that we're sharing, you know, we're, 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 we're kind of traveling, encompassed on one side by this anticipation of what could be, and, and buffeted on the other side by this anxiety of what we don't know. And the same thing that this pilgrim, this journeyer is experiencing here in the book of Psalms is the very same thing that you and I are experiencing every day of our lives as we journey through this life together trying to figure out who has God called me to be and what has God called me to do and how does it fit into the world in which I live. And so this morning, we're going to kind of dive into the rest of this chapter and see what it is the Lord reveals to us through this pilgrim, through this journeyer of how we can make this path well. All right, so if, you, if you're with me in Psalm 121, if you haven't found it by now, go ahead and give up. Look with the person next to you. Um, we're going to start down at verse 2. Uh, it, he starts, I lift my eyes up to the hills from where does my help come from? And in verse 2, we find a definitive statement of faith. He simply says this, my help comes from the Lord who is the maker of heaven and earth. Now, this is definitive because this kind of declares in a very positive way, in a very certain way, I know who my helper is. So if you're taking notes, the very first thing that we need to do, the very first step we need to take, number one, if you just go ahead and put a little one on your piece of paper, circle it with your pen, and write down next to it the word remember. Remember. Today is a great day that we need to remember to remember. We need to remember who it is we are journeying with. See, the thing is, God is not some weak, flimsy, plastic God that has simply been made up. He is the maker of heaven and the maker of earth. He is the all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, sovereign God of creation. He is the one who not only understands the road, he sees the hills. He not only sees the hills, he sees the city. He not only sees the city, he sees the entire heavens above it. He is the God who knows exactly what you are going through. And maybe in this season of life, 
life, anxiety has overwhelmed you. Maybe in this season of life, anxiety has kind of roped, in, roped you in on all sides and you simply don't know where to go. Maybe it's because you have a child who has wandered away from the faith or is out there just kind of testing the waters or pushing the boundaries or seeing how far they can go and you're left kind of holding your hands up in wonderment. I don't know what to do now. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to handle this. Or maybe for you, it's the lack of a child. Maybe you have tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. And now you're just to a point where I don't, I've done everything humanly possible. We've seen every doctor. We've gone to every place. We don't know what to do now. Where do I turn? What do I do? Or maybe it's the ending of a career or a relationship or a family or just some conflict at work. Maybe you have come to a place in your walk with God, your journey through this earth, that you've come to a place so paralyzed by fear, so unable to move because you don't know where to go next. And it seems like you're surrounded by landmines on every side. We need to stop and remember that the God of heaven and the God of earth is still the God who is walking on this road with me. And if I am with the one who has the power to create all that is and all that ever will be, then what is my problem compared to that? How do we stand in the presence of a holy God bigger than all of creation itself and complain about the issues of our lives? Now, I'm not trying to denigrate people who are going through serious hardship, heartbreaking hardship, but the truth of the matter is God is bigger than any problem you or I will ever face. And it's important to note here that he says that I serve I, God, my help comes from God, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. There's coming a time, we, we went through Revelation uh, not too long ago with Pastor on Sunday nights. There's coming a time in the book of Revelation when the people of earth will begin to look towards the heaven and recognize the nature, recognize the power and the vastness of God, but in some twisted sense of deism, they feel like God is too transcendent, too big, too great, too unknowable, and too unreachable, and so turning from the God of heaven, they will turn to who they call the God of earth. Now, the God of earth for us isn't necessarily the Antichrist. The God of earth oftentimes is our relationships or our money or our careers or our children or our hobbies. We tend very, very subtly to turn away from the God of heaven and towards the gods that we've created for ourselves here on earth. And this passage reminds us that our first step to walk well, our first step to walk successfully is to remember the God who is the maker of heaven and the maker of earth and the almighty, all-powerful, sovereign God of all things. So number one, if you're taking notes, we need to remember. Now let's step down and look at the next verse and we'll see what the Lord has to say next. He will not, uh, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Verse three, he will not let your foot be Moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now check this out. Now, now travel like back then wasn't really like it is now. They would set out on a road to go on a journey, and sometimes it would take days and days and days. Think I-4 if you've ever been on it. You know, it, it's kind of... Kind of, okay, maybe not. But, but, you know, they didn't have interstates. They didn't have mass transportation. Nothing came easy. It would take days, weeks, months, sometimes even 
years. When you look in the New Testament, you see the, 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 uh, the wise men, that Jesus was two years old by the time he got to, their, got to Bethlehem where they were. It just took a long time to travel anywhere. And so what that means is that travel was hard. You had to find sustenance. You had to find shelter. You had to find food. You had to find a place of rest. And the truth of the matter is when you were surrounded in all sides by the unknown, when you were surrounded on all sides by, by, by potentially things that could be seeking to take your very life, it is hard to find rest. But this passage says, stop. Rest in who God is. He is the God who never sleeps, never slumbers, and never fails. Remember who God is and rest in his presence. The truth of the matter is, you and I do not have to push so hard. I'm willing to bet you're probably a lot like me. I, I define my life, I tend to define my life by a series of successes or a series of failures. And so I'm always looking for the next success. I'm always looking to work the process. I'm always work, looking to work the system. I'm always looking to make it happen. I'm always looking to, to find a way to make it work, to, to reach a goal, to, to take the next step, to turn the next corner, to get up that ladder that we call success. And that is just something for, for whatever reason, it's just ingrained into who I am. And I'm willing to bet it's probably ingrained into who you are too because we're all always pushing for the next best thing. If you don't believe me, just look at the line the next time the next iPhone comes out. We're all looking for what comes next and the next best thing. But there, there's a passage over in Proverbs that we've shared before from this, in, the, in this very room. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but, but simply put, it, 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 it's, it's a juxtaposition. It, it's, it's two opposite things. It says, don't do this, but instead do this. It says, trust in the Lord. Put your, put your weight on God. Lean in on him. You see that more clearly defined in the next phrase. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. My own understanding is how I do my job. My understanding is how I raise my kids. My understanding is how I know the world works. My understanding is how do I work with people? How do I do this? How do I get it done? How do I go here? How do I make it happen? The way in which the world works, the systems of the world, the culture of the world, those are the things that I by nature understand because I'm part of it. And my tendency as a person is to put my weight on what I know, to put my weight on what I understand, to put Put my weight in to lean into the things I can do, the things I can make happen, and the things that I can manipulate. And as human nature goes, we all do this. We lean into what we know. We lean into what we can accomplish. And Proverbs teaches us, just as this verse does, stop. Don't put your weight, don't lean into what you can accomplish, what you can do and where you can go, but instead, trust in God. Instead, lean into his word, lean into his promises, lean into his power, and lean into his presence. And then in all your ways, acknowledge him. Now, that word acknowledge is really, really weird, just, just to be clear. Um, so that we understand what's going on there. I, I was at a wedding yesterday and uh, had the chance to, to marry two members here. It was really, really cool. We were outside this, under this huge, beautiful oak tree. And, uh, and, and so the music started, and I'm standing down front, and the groom is standing right here. And uh, I look up, and the bride is walking down. And everybody stands up. 
I just look over to look at the groom, and he is standing here with his eyes this big and this goofy grin on his face. And, and, and you know, he had all of his best friends standing next to him and all of her best friends over here. I'm standing right on his right-hand side, and there's like dozens of people out here in the congregation, just everybody, everybody watching, and all of that just melted away. He had no clue I was there. He had no clue these guys were there. Everybody between him and his bride just melted away. And the only thing that he was focused on, the only thing that he could see in this room full of people was just this one woman walking down the steps towards him. Now, we look at that word acknowledge and, 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 and we think, oh, okay, we just, we kind of, okay, yeah, see you there. Hey, nice to see you today. Glad you guys came. We acknowledge the presence of God, but a better understanding of that passage is not to acknowledge, but to do what this guy did. To be completely riveted, to be enraptured, to be unable to take his eyes off of this one thing. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on what you know and what you can do and what you can make happen, but instead, instead, be unable to take your eyes off of the Lord. And he will make your path straight. Church, church, not only do we need to remember who it is that we walk with, we need to rest in his presence. We need to rest in his power. We need to allow the God who created the heavens and the earth to be the God who sustains, keeps, and takes care of us. But the the psalm writer goes on. In verse 5, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand, and the sun shall, shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil, and he will keep your life. So if you're taking notes, number one is to remember, number two is to rest, number three is to remain. Number three is to remain. See, there's, there's, a, there's a certain sequence of events. There's an order of things that's happening in this passage. And to understand it in context, we need to kind of understand what's going on. These travelers wouldn't just kind of come from all over willy-nilly and find their way into, in, into Jerusalem. Jerusalem wasn't like Orlando where you can come down from the turnpike or you can come in from 408 or you can come up from I-4 or you can come over from 95 and take this road or there's a million little, there's a million different ways to get into Orlando. The, the, Jerusalem was a different kind of city in a different kind of place in a different kind of time. There was one way there. And so tra travelers would, would go down the Jordan River Valley and across this road, and then eventually they would turn west and begin ascending into the hill country and begin, then eventually begin a steep ascent into the actual city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem sat in kind of a plateau where the city was here with this one roadway up to it. It was a very defensible position, a very easy place to find, but a very difficult place to get to. And so so as everybody would come this same way, this psalm writer is writing and he's, he's, he's referencing where the sun would be. And the sun on the left-hand side would be scorching hot and the elements would burn you and it would be difficult to travel. But on the right-hand side, right side of the road, there would be shade and there would be rest and there would be provision on the right-hand side. So on the left, it was difficult, but on the right, where God's presence was, it, 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 you know, in the psalm writer's words, that was a place where the 
sun would not strike you and the moon would not shine down upon you. It was a place of comfort in the day and peace at night. And, but the problem with this is this only works when you're walking on the path that has been set before you. This only works when you are doing what it is that God has called you to do. If this promise is going to be there, we must remain where it is God's called us to go, doing what it is God's called us to do. Now, for many of us, we, we've run off in life. We've chased after our dreams. We've done our thing. We tried out for the team. We asked the girl out. We went for the job. We went into a marriage. We're trying to have kids. We're chasing after our fortune. We're doing whatever it is that we do, whatever it is that lies upon our heart, whatever dream that we have. And we're looking at verses like Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. And we're, we're crying out to that verse, God, I can achieve. I can accomplish. I can get. I can go. I can have it all because you are going to provide and you are going to give me strength. And the problem is we don't understand at all the context of what Paul is saying when he writes that. In the book of Philippi, he's writing back to a church, a church that is given far above and beyond the wealth that they had to give as an offering to the church at Jerusalem. And he's closing out the thoughts to these people and he's saying, you don't have to worry about me. The church at Jerusalem is thankful and I am good. I'm not good because I have enough. I'm not good because I live in a nice house. I'm not good because my children are well behaved. I'm not good because of any of these things. I am good because I have learned the secret to being content in all things. So I'm good if I have plenty. I'm good if I have nothing. I'm good if I am at home. I'm good if I'm in prison. I'm good if I have it all. I'm good if the bottom falls out because I have something greater than anything I will ever find in this life. And because of that, I can do all things that God has called me to do. I can do all things that God has set before me. I can travel any path. I can climb any mountain. I can do anything that is set before me when I'm doing what God's called me to do because God will give me strength. And instead, we turn around and shake our fist at God because he hasn't come through fulfilling a promise to us that he never made. But God, I thought by now I'd be married. He never promised that. But God, I thought by now I'd have this house. He never promised that. But God, I thought my children would be, he never promised that. But God, I thought I, he never promised that. What he promised was he would have a calling and he would have a purpose and he would have forgiveness and you would have peace. So stop shaking our fists at God because he hasn't come through on what I wanted. C.S. Lewis says it this way. I want to read this quote to you. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis gives this illustration. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and he's stopping the leaky roof and so on and so on. And you knew the house, you knew that those jobs needed doing and so you're not really surprised. As a matter of fact, you're you're, you're really kind of grateful. But presently, he starts knocking the house in a way that hurts abominably. And and he doesn't seem to take any sense at all. What What on earth is he up to? And the explanation is that he is building a quite different house from the one that you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, and making courtyards. 
You thought we were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace, a palace he himself intends to live in. See, the thing is, we have this idea of what our life should be, and we invite God into this life and ask him to make it better. And so we kind of expect God is going to make our children better, and he's going to make our marriage better, and he's going to make our jobs better, and he's going he's to give us this better version of us that we always thought we could be if we just had what it took to get there. But that is not what God promised to do. 2 Corinthians 5.17 doesn't say in Christ all things are made better. It says in Christ all things are made new. The old has passed away and we are becoming new creations. God doesn't intend to make you a better version of you. He doesn't intend to make me a better version of me. He intends to strip out everything and make me something brand new. New And he intends to do the same thing with you. But if we are going to get in on the new creation, we have to remain moving towards him. So first, we need to remember who we are walking with. We need to rest in his power and his presence. And we need to remain on the path that he has prescribed for us. And finally, there's one last thing to kind of clue in on here. Check this in verse 8. The Lord will keep you. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth forevermore. Now, I'm willing to bet in a group this size that probably some of us, we feel like, hey, I've done that. I remembered. I tried to rest. You know, I've been doing the right things. I've been doing it the right way. I've been walking the right, I've, I've been keeping my nose clean. I've been... I'm not going to the parties, I'm not going to the thing, I'm not going to the place, I'm not doing the stuff. And right now, I just feel completely and utterly alone. It's like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. I don't know what's going on. I really thought God was going to come through and he didn't. I really thought this was going to happen and it never did. I really thought we were going to be and we're not. I really... And for some of us, we've just come to a place where we're, we're kind of, we're not shaking our fists at God anymore. We're just shrugging our shoulders like, what in the world is going on? I don't understand. What, if, if this is the way it's supposed to be, if this is where I'm supposed to go, if this is the way it's supposed to look like, I, I just don't even know anymore. But the truth is, these promises weren't made and these promises were never intended for just me, or just you. Uh, something about this song of ascent thing that I mentioned earlier, we, we kind of need to understand a little bit about how this would work because it, it wasn't like, it, it, the, the story of the, of, the, of, the, uh, of the Good Samaritan was a little weird because n people never did that. People didn't travel alone because it was unsafe. Everybody knew that was unsafe. So people would travel like in little packs, but it wasn't like, you know, a mom and a dad and three kids would hop on the road. Now, you know, there's five of us, so we're okay. They, 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 and, and they wouldn't just go out and they wouldn't hook up with just random people along. Hey, we're all heading this way. You guys want to come? No, th this, was, this was a pilgrimage. This was something they were doing together. And so, you know, a family would unite with another family, would unite with another family, with another family and another family. And, th and this large congregation of people would begin walking down the road together. They'd be traveling down the road together, not because they had a shared destination, not because they were 
were going to the same place, but because they had been traveling through life together all along anyway. These were communities of faith. These were people who 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 were doing life together. They were experiencing temptation together. They were suffering through things together. They were working through things together. They were rejoicing together. They were worshiping together. They were serving together. These were people who had united together as a community of faith, and they were stepping out together to go to where God had called them to be as one group. And so as they were going and as they were singing, they weren't just singing to themselves. They were singing to one another. They were reminding each other of the faithfulness of God. They were reminding each other of the dangers ahead. They were reminding each other of the power of God and the provision of God and the person of God. They were reminding each other of the call of God. There was a community of faith moving together towards God's calling on their lives. And the problem for so many of us is we do this wrong in one of two ways. We either try to go off and do it on our own. And, and, and as single people, we run off and, you know, it's just me and Jesus and we're good. Or maybe as a family, you know, it's just me and my wife and my kids and we're good. And we're going we're gonna to do this Jesus thing together. And we're going to follow through together. And that works great until you get into the hill country and you don't know what's around the other side. That works great until somebody jumps out and ambushes you. That works great until troubles come in life and you find yourself alone, isolated with no one to help. When we see this happen in scripture, when we see see the word of God talk about this kind of promise and this kind of motion and this kind of thing. It always happens in a community of people who are called together to do life as one. They worship together. They grow together. They learn together. They serve together. They do life together. Because on our own, It doesn't work. And the other way that people tend to to fail on this is, is, is they get this wrong idea of just, hey, we're all going the same place. Y'all just come on in. Everybody jump in. Everybody come on. You know, get them over here, get them over here. And we get this weird, we get this picture in our head of this weird conglomeration of people who have nothing in common and no, 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 or very little in common and nothing to do. And, you know, they just, they just kind of unite for this one little trip and this one little mission and this one little thing and this one little destination. And they just kind of go on together because they're all going to end up in the same place anyway. But that's not the way way this worked. These were people who were together in worship, together in growth, together in trouble. These were people that were brought together as a community of faith, a family of faith. They watched out for one another. They loved one another's children. They, they, they pushed each other. They challenged each other. And they worked with each other. And church, if we, if we are going to experience our help, if we are going to experience the presence, the power, the movement of God the way we desire to, then we have to go beyond this idea of, you know, everybody or just me and move into this understanding of the community of faith that exists as a local body of Christ. God has called us together 
to encourage one another, to remind one another, to help one another rest, to challenge one another to remain, to push each other on towards the ultimate destination that God has given us. Whatever God has called you to do, it is our responsibility as a body to come together and push each other forward. And so what, what, do, we, what do we do with this? I mean, what, what, what difference does this make in our life? Well, as we journey together through this life, as we pilgrimage together, as we push on forward towards what it is God's called us to do and who it is God's called us to be, some of us in this room, we need to remember who it is that travels with us. Some of us in this room, we need to stop pushing so hard. We need to stop trying so hard. We need, we need to pull back from the fear and the anxiety that's gripped our hearts, and we need to remember who God is. As some of us, some of us beyond that, we, we know very well who God is, but we've been so busy chasing after our dream, so busy chasing after our thing, so busy chasing after our stuff, so busy with so many different things. We need to pull back and remember who God is, and we need to rest we need to rest in his presence. We need to allow our families to rest. We need to allow our small group to rest. We need to encourage each other to see where God is moving and get in in those places. And for some of us, you know, we've looked at this thing like a, like, like a race and we've looked at it like a 100-yard dash and we've been running and running and running and running and running. And, but this is, not, this is not a short thing. This is a marathon. This is a long race that God has called us to. And, and, and somewhere along the path, we've just kind of wandered off in our own direction and we've been running so hard we haven't even realized how far away from God we've gotten. And for some of us, this morning is not a time to remember. It's not a time to rest. It is a time to come back. A time to come back to what it is God's called us to do. A time to come back to who it is God's called us to be. A time to come back to the fellowship of the community of faith that God has called us to be a part of. And for some of us, for some of us this morning is a time for us to stop sitting way off on our own. For us to stop jumping from place to place to place to place to place in the worship center and to settle down in somewhere where somebody gets to know us, where somebody learns to love us, to connect to a small group, small group where we will become a part of the body of Christ, not just an attender of an event. Because you and I were never meant to experience this alone, but rather in community. So this morning... Where is God calling you? What is God calling you to do? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, this morning there are people here who desperately need to hear from you. So, Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak through your word. God, I pray this morning you would make your way clear. And, Father, I pray God, if there is anyone here who is not united with you through the blood of Jesus, that they would today. Father, I'm so grateful for Tim and his message early this morning about your call to repentance, your call to sonship, your call to daughtership. Father, your call to become a part of the family of God. And Lord, there are those of us here this morning who, who you know, this whole thing just sounds weird because 
you know, this, this is a message for people who are in the inside and they know they are on the outside. So to those this morning, Father, I pray that you would place it on their heart. God, that you would weigh heavy on them this morning. God, to recognize that they have been running after their own thing, chasing after their own dream. Just like me, they had no thought to come to you. But Father, right where they are, you have come looking for them. And in this, we know what love is. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.